I mentioned, I always enjoy and I love preaching the Word of God. I love it. God has called me to do that, and I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. Proclaim the name of Jesus, and it's wonderful. If you would open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. I love the book of Acts. Two weeks ago, I spoke from Acts chapter 28. This morning in Sunday school, I spoke from Acts chapter 27. Tonight will be in Acts chapter 8. I love the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, watch this now, preaching the word. Verse number 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many take with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. If you would, again, notice that phrase in verse number 4, where the Bible says they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. Verse number 5, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Tonight, I want to preach to you on this thought. I want to bring this subject to you entitled, Just Preach Jesus. Just Preach Jesus. Can we pray tonight? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that you help me tonight. Hide me behind the cross. Lord, I need you. I cannot do this alone. Lord, I need the Spirit of God upon me tonight. Lord, speak to me through me and for me. Use me tonight as your vessel. Lord, may you speak to the hearts and lives of your people through your word. It doesn't matter what I say, because everything I say is in vain unless the Holy Spirit moves and works tonight. And so, Father, I pray that you meet with us and help me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There is one thing stronger than all the armies of the world, wrote Victor Hugo, and that is an idea whose time has come. The gospel of Jesus Christ is much more than an idea. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It is God's dynamite for breaking down sin's barriers and setting the prisoners free. Its time had come and the church was on the move. The salt was now leaving the Jerusalem salt shaker to be spread all over all of Judea and Samaria just as the Lord had commanded. When we look at the book of Acts in Acts chapter 8, it is an important chapter in the history of the early church as it shows how the gospel was spread beyond Jerusalem and to other regions of the world. We find in this chapter the disciples and others spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you tonight that spreading the gospel isn't just for the, the, the pastor or the missionary and the evangelist, it's for every Christian in this room. 
Just preach Jesus. Now we know that being a pastor is for a man and men only. But to evangelize and to preach the name of Christ is for all Christians to proclaim Jesus. When we look at this passage of scripture, the word preach or preached is mentioned six times. And in this chapter in the Greek, it means this, to announce good news, evangelize, especially the gospel Declare, bring glad tidings to others. Can I tell you tonight, the gospel is good news. And it is the good news of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8 has several stories and several men that it speaks of. I want to break this passage down tonight. I want to break this chapter 8 down. And we're going to look at several thoughts that I see here from Acts chapter 8. And on this thought, just preach Jesus. The first thought I see here, we see in verses 1 and 3 is the persecution of the church. The persecution of the church. The Bible says, and Saul was contenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Look at verse number 3, as for Saul. He made havoc of the church, entering into every house, inhaling men and women, committed them to prison. The church now had only been about one or two years old at this time in Acts chapter 8. It was established by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and was launched out in Acts chapter 2. After Stephen's death and martyrdom in Acts chapter 7, a great persecution had broken out against the church. This was the first persecution the church had faced and it forced them to scatter. At the time, they were all settled in Jerusalem and had then moved to Judea, which surrounds Jerusalem, and into Samaria, which lies north of Jerusalem. The persecution started with a man named Saul of Tarsus, who we know would later become the great Paul the Apostle, the great faithful missionary, pastor, and church planner. But before Saul was any of those things, Saul was a wicked, wicked man. In fact, the book of Acts and the epistles, it gives sufficient data of a, of, of, and a sketch of Saul's earlier life. He was born in Tarshish in Cilicia. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, the son of a Pharisee and a Roman citizen. He was educated in Jerusalem by Gamaliel and became a devoted Pharisee. Measured by the law, his life was blameless. He was one of the most promising young Pharisees in Jerusalem, well on his way to becoming a great leader of the Jewish faith. It was Saul who looked with approval on the murder of Stephen. Religion blinded his eyes. Saul's zeal for the law was displayed most vividly in his persecution of the church. He really thought that persecuting the church was one way of serving God. In what ways did Saul persecute the church? Well, the Bible says in verse number three, he made havoc of the church. What does that mean? That verb here, now excuse me, but that verb describes it as a wild animal mangling its prey. The stoning of Stephen, which Saul approved, shows the lengths to which he would go to achieve his purpose. 
He persecuted both men and women unto the death, entering both houses and synagogues. He had the believers imprisoned and beaten if they recounted their faith in Jesus Christ, which would compel them to blaspheme. They were set free, but if they did not recant, they could die. Paul or Saul was a man with great authority whose devotion to Moses completely controlled his life and almost destroyed his life. Think about Saul's life. The lengths he was willing to go to persecute the church. Can I tell you that over the last 2,000 years, the church has been facing great persecution. According to research in 2022, it was the worst year for Christians worldwide due to an intensifying level of violence, discrimination, and exclusion. The group Open Doors USA figures that 360 million Christians last year lived in countries where persecution was significant. Roughly 5,600 Christians were murdered. More than 6,000 were detained or imprisoned. And another 4,000 plus were kidnapped. In addition, more than 5,000 churches and facilities were destroyed. And let me tell you tonight, American Christians talk of persecution, but that is what real persecution is like. May I tell you tonight, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, we have no clue what real persecution is. We have no idea. It is estimated that more than 70 million Christians have been martyred over the last two millennia, more than half of which died in the 20th century under fascist and communist governments. It is also estimated that one million Christians were killed between 2001 and 2010, and about, and about 900,000 were killed from 2011 to 2020. Yet we live in a country where we have freedom of speech. We live in a state that would be considered conservative. And can I tell you, it is now time to stand up and to preach Jesus while we still have the freedoms that we have today. Because let me tell you right now, it's not going to be much longer until all the freedoms that we have are going to be stripped away from us. Because the world hates the name of Christ. The world hates Jesus Christ. And they will do everything in their power to stop his name to being proclaimed tonight. And it is now time to stand up and just preach Jesus tonight. They don't have the luxury to freely speak about Jesus in countries like China, North Korea, Nigeria, Iran, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Syria, or Russia. They hate the name of Jesus. Yet in the face of persecution, people stand up and they preach Jesus. Missionaries and national pastors look right into the eyes of persecution and they preach Jesus. They know there is only one true gospel and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When trials come, just preach Jesus. When hardships come, just preach Jesus. When times are uncertain, just preach Jesus. The Bible says that the world is waxing worse and worse. And may I say through all of that, just preach Jesus. You know what I'm trying to say tonight? What would happen today if America faced real persecution? What would happen today if America became bombarded by a communist country. We think we are, pu- we are persecuted because somebody says no to our invitation to church. We think we're persecuted because somebody slams a door in our face when we're out on visitation. 
we think we're persecuted because somebody curses at us by trying to tell them about the gospel. And while I say, yes, that is a form of persecution, that is nowhere near the persecution they face over in the East. While we have the opportunity and while the time is right, right now, we need to preach Jesus. Preach the gospel. I remember when I was in high school, I had... I was out door knocking, and I was out on bus visitation. It was a Saturday, early, early afternoon, and I remember I knocked on a door. And a lady opened the door and just absolute angry, so upset, and I don't even know why. I had barely gotten off two words. Said some things that I'm not going to repeat, and slammed the door in my face. And, I kinda, and, I, and it kind of took me by surprise, but I walked back, and I just kind of started laughing. You say, Pastor Ethan, why were you laughing? Because it amazes me how much people really hate the name of Christ. Was that a form of persecution? I mean, I guess you could say that. If that's the worst form of persecution I'll ever go through, then glory to God. But while we have the time, may we preach Jesus. And God forbid, if persecution does come to America, may we stand up and still preach Jesus. Jesus. I was reflecting about telling the story, but during China's Boxer Rebellion of 1900, insurgents captured a mission station, blocked all the gates but one, and in front of that one gate, and in front of that one gate, placed a cross flat on the ground. Then the word was passed to those inside that any who trampled the cross underfoot would be permitted their freedom and life but that any refusing would be shot. Terribly frightened, the first seven students trampled the cross under their feet and were allowed to go free. Kneeling beside the cross in prayer for strength, a young girl refused to commit the sacrilegious act. She arose and moved carefully around the cross and went out to face the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to the firing firing squad. Think about that. While the church is getting persecuted, we don't have to worry about that in the United States of America. So while we have the time, may we preach Jesus. The second thought I see here as we move down in Acts chapter 8, I see here, the persecution of the church, but I see the problem with Simon. The problem with Simon, I didn't read this because of time's sake, but look at verse number 9. The Bible says, they come across a man named Simon, but there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. Verse number 18, the Bible says, And when Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thou Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. 
there's an obvious problem here. Simon was a sorcerer, and he used his satanic gifts to dazzle and mesmerize, mesmerize the people of Samaria. He enjoyed the reputation he had established for himself. People spoke of him with awe and were amazed and impressed with his mysterious, magical powers. He then, come, he then comes across the disciples here who had the real supernatural power from the Holy Spirit. They had the power of God on their lives. The wickedness of Simon's heart was fully revealed by the ministry of the two apostles. Simon not only wanted to perform miracles, but he also wanted the power to convey the gift of the Holy Spirit to others. And he was willing to pay for it. Can I tell you tonight, you cannot buy the power of God. You cannot buy the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not some prize or possession of which you can gain by money. You want the power of God? Then you ask for it. You want the power of God? Then you seek God for it. You want the power of God? Then you pray to Him for it. The power of God isn't some magical abracadabra one that says, boom, you have the power of God. No, it's real and it's supernatural. There was a problem here. Simon thought he could buy the power of God with money. Let me tell you, there's no money in the world. There's no possession in the world that can buy the power of God. There's a problem. We see the disciples were preaching Jesus everywhere they had gone. And they were laying hands on people and healing people. And let me tell you, the Lord used that as a sign to the Jews. Because it would have been impossible for the disciples to do such a thing without the power of the Holy Spirit. We see a lot of preachers today, don't we? They sway people. They sound good, too. If you give $100 right now, the Lord will bless you and he'll anoint you. Just give that $100 right now. You know where I'm going. If you give $500 right now, you have the power of God upon your life. I anoint you in the name of Jesus. $500, give it right now and God will bless you. What kind of nonsense is that? And you know what they do with this money? They go out and buy nice, fancy jets. They go out and buy nice, fancy suits. And look, hey, I'm okay with nice suit, all right? I'm, or, you know what I'm saying? I wear nice suits. I like nice suits. But they're using this money to persuade people, and they're saying, God will bless you if you give this certain amount. Look, no money can give you God's blessing upon your life. There was a problem with Simon. The problem with a lot of preachers and a lot of Christians is that think they have the power and the ability to buy the Holy Spirit By using money. And instead of helping people with their soul, they rather have these earthly possessions and the earthly goods. What's the job of a preacher, of pastor specifically, to just preach Jesus? Obviously, it's more than that. You understand. But to just preach Jesus. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I I, I can give two rips about a nice fancy jet. I don't care about the nicest suit on the market. I don't care about the nicest tie. And I like to look nice and I like to dress nice. But let me tell you, that is secondary, third, fourth, and dairy, if that's the right word, compared to what my job is, and that's to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to just preach Jesus. It bothers me. Because they take advantage of people. And Simon thought he could take advantage of the disciples. Simon thought that he could take advantage and maybe sway them, mesmerize them by his powers, but he could not buy the power of God. Listen, no man has the ability to bless you or anoint you. Only God can do such a thing. 
Don't let the wolves in sheep's clothing awe you or amaze you when they act like they can freely give you the Spirit of God because they can't. The Spirit of, the Spirit of God only comes from God. The Holy Spirit's not a joke, and the power of God is not a game. It's real, and it's supernatural. We see that Peter had a confrontation with Simon, and later on, the Bible says that he rebuked Simon for what he was trying to do. Let me tell you, the early church had its priorities straight. It was more important to preach the word than to win the support of the wealthy and influential people of the world. As we live in a world where preachers and Christians want to buy God, may we be the Christians in this room and at Calvary Baptist Church to just stand up and just preach Jesus. The problem with Simon number three, we're going to move on. I see here, as we move on in our story, I see the pursuing of the Ethiopian. The pursuing of the Ethiopian, verses 27 through 31, talk about how a man from Ethiopia, he was a eunuch, was coming down and, He was sitting in his chariot and he was reading the book of Isaiah. The spirit told Philip to go near and to join himself to the chariot. And Philip ran to him. He didn't walk. He didn't jog. He ran to him. The Ethiopian here may possibly have come from an area of Africa we now call Sudan. Where the white and Nile, or excuse me, where the white and blue Nile join an area adjoining the modern country, Ethiopia. The Ethiopian in this passage is a eunuch, as I just said. Eunuchs are often attained position of great power and trust. This man held high office in his native land. He was, in effect, the secretary of treasury. Yet even with his power and his position in this country, he was concerned enough about his spiritual life to travel over 200 miles to Jerusalem to worship God. But his heart was still not satisfied. This Ethiopian, can I tell you tonight, he represents a lot of people today who are religious. They read the scriptures and they seek the truth, yet they do not have the saving faith in Jesus Christ. They are sincere, but they are lost. They need someone to show them the way and may we as Christians be like Philip and may we run to the people who are pursuing God may we run after the people who are searching for the things of God and when we come across them may we just preach Jesus unto them we live in a world that is pursuing something they're pursuing hope they're pursuing peace they're pursuing happiness they're pursuing popularity and fame and wealth and none of that will make them happy the only source of happiness is the Lord Jesus Christ and it's our job and it's our goal and it's our duty to just preach Jesus unto them we know that hope lies in Jesus Christ We know that true peace and joy only comes from Christ. So may we preach Jesus. People are searching for the answer. And we have the answer. It's Christ. May we preach Jesus. You might know somebody in your life that's pursuing. They're looking. Give them Jesus. We live in a world that's trying to find happiness and joy in all different kinds of things. They'll never find it. Unless their source is Jesus Christ. The pursuing of the Ethiopian, he was looking. Who could help me? Who can tell me about Christ? Philip said, understand this what thou readest. He said, how can I unless some man tells me? 
How are people going to know about Christ unless you tell them? How are people going to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how Jesus loves them, how Jesus died for them, and how Jesus rose again from the dead, and he can save their lost soul from dying and going to hell? How are they going to know that unless some man tell them? People are pursuing, and we have that answer. Pursuing of the Ethiopian, number four, and I'll be finished. The preaching of Philip. Number four, the preaching of Philip. Verse number five talks about how Philip went down to Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. Verse number 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Verse 34, the Bible says, and Philip opened his mouth, and now he's dealing with the Ethiopian eunuch and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Verse number 40, but Philip was found at uh, Azotos, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Do you see a pattern here? Philip is preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching. He's proclaiming the name of Jesus. He's lifting the name of Jesus on high. Philip was a chosen deacon. And like Stephen, he grew in his ministry and became an effective evangelist. God directed him to evangelize in Samaria, an area that had been prohibited by the apostles. Both John the Baptist and Jesus had ministered there, so Philip entered into their labors. As I read the word for preaching in verse number 4, it means to preach the gospel, to evangelize, while the word in verse number 5 means to announce as a herald, Philip was God's commissioned herald to deliver his message to the people of Samaria. We see in this chapter that Philip specifically is preaching four different times. Everywhere he went, Philip preached Jesus. Everyone he came in in contact with and everyone he came across, he preached unto them Jesus. Philip not only declared God's word, but he also demonstrated God's power by performing miracles. However, the emphasis here is on the word of God. The people gave heed to the word because they saw the miracles and by believing the word, they were saved. Look, nobody was ever saved simply because of miracles. They were saved because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Philip wasted no time. He preached Christ to the Samaritans. He preached Christ to the Ethiopian eunuch. Not Judaism, but Christ. Not religion, but Christ. The only thing that has the power to save is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Philip understood. And that's what he did. The preaching of Philip. I can only imagine hearing, uh, I can only imagine hearing Philip herald the gospel of Jesus Christ Philip was a disciple. He was with Christ. He saw him. He knew him. And imagine now he gets to lift his name on high. We must preach and teach Jesus with those we come in contact with. It is still our commission to tell the world about Jesus. And it is still our job as Christians to proclaim the name of Christ. The message for the whole world is Jesus. It's not religion. It's not good works. It's not by going to church. It's not by wearing a suit and a nice dress. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. And it'll only be Jesus. My question is, are we telling people about Christ? Say, Pastor Ethan, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't really told people much recently about Christ. I want to challenge you tonight. As soon as you walk out that door, you're going to determine to tell somebody this week about Christ. Look, we live in a wicked, crazy, awful world. 
But a lot of times we complain about it. All these movements that are going on, all our government, all our president, but yet we're doing absolutely nothing about it. So how about you and I, and I'm going to include myself because I'm in the same boat. How about we just don't complain, but how about we go do something about it and tell people about Christ? Can I tell you, Coach Scott and Coach Coach Karen know this, every time we get up Wednesday night in Kids Jam, what do we preach? Jesus. Every Sunday morning when I get up in Kids City, guess what I preach? Jesus. We deal with boys and girls. Some of you, a lot of you may not even know this. We deal with boys and girls that come from a broken home. Their parents don't love them. Their parents don't care about them. Their parents don't want anything to do with them. They don't care if they go to church or not. So let me tell you, when they walk through those doors, I'm going to give them one thing. That's Jesus. Because they can have hope. Ladies and gentlemen, proclaiming Jesus isn't just for the pastor or the church staff. It isn't just for the missionary or the evangelist. It's for every single Christian. You say, Pastor Ethan, I get scared to tell people about Christ. Then leave them a gospel track. Pray over the gospel track. I'm not trying to be funny. Pray over the gospel track. Ask the Holy Spirit to use that gospel track to speak to somebody's heart because people can get saved through a gospel track. Leave a track because you're getting the word of God out to people. Just preach Jesus. In October of 1857, J. Hudson Taylor began to minister in Ningpo, China, and he led a Mr. Nye to Christ. The man was overjoyed and wanted to share his faith with others. How long have you had the good tidings in England, Mr. Nye asked Hudson Taylor one day. Taylor acknowledged that England had known the gospel for many centuries. My father died seeking the truth, said Mr. Nye. Why didn't you come sooner? Taylor had no answer to that penetrating question. How long have you known the gospel? How far have you shared it personally? Ladies and gentlemen, when we leave tonight, we walk out those doors. May we keep this in mind. Just preach Jesus. Can you say that tonight with me? Just preach Jesus. Can you say it with me? Ready? Just preach Jesus. Father, we thank you for tonight. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, help us to always remember that truth. Just preach Jesus. You are the answer for humanity. You are the answer for the world. There is a remedy, and his name is Jesus Christ.